I'm going to jump around just a little bit in this chapter tonight, so just kind of stay with me. 1 Samuel chapter 15, if you're there, say amen. amen. Verse number 1, Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel. Now he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have. This is very important right here. And spare them not, but slay both. Everybody say both. Man and woman. Infant and newborn, the suckling, the ox, the sheep, the camel, the ass. And Saul gathered the people together and numbered them. And to Liam, 200,000 footmen and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and laid wait in the valley. And Saul said unto the Kenites, go depart, get you down. From among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. This is what you call guilty by association. If you don't want to be destroyed with the Amalekites, then get out from the Amalekites. I wish I had time to preach that to you tonight. Now verse 7. Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah until thou comest to Shur. That's over against Egypt. Verse 8 is where it starts getting kind of crazy. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. He took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. And he utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag. Now, they didn't just spare the king. They spared the best of the sheep, the best of the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and refused, that they utterly destroyed. Now, verse 10, the word of the Lord came to the prophet, and he told the prophet, he said, you told Saul to destroy the Amalekites, but they are still alive. And so Samuel gives him a big rebuke, and he tells Saul, he said, I, I had told you to obey the Lord, and you didn't obey the Lord. He said, but pastor, prophet, elder, man of God, I want you to know that my disobedience was to honor the Lord. He said, I kept it all to give as an offering to the Lord. And this is where we get the famous, famous words that uh, people love to quote. But the prophet looked at him and he said to him, he said that it is better to obey than it is to sacrifice. That's verse 22. Verse 23. He said for rebellion. Is as the sin of witchcraft. Or divination. And stubbornness is as iniquity. And idolatry. Because thou hast rejected. The word of the Lord. He hath also rejected thee. From being king. So then the prophet Samuel. Said to Saul. He said, give me your sword. He rents, he rends Saul's garment so that he has to walk before his people with his garment ripped. I may, I may get a chance to talk to you a little bit about that. That same thing happened with David and Saul later. But he rips his garment and then he looks at him and he says, give me your sword. And the Bible said that the prophet has to step out of his office of the prophetic. And take the sword of the king to destroy Agag. 
And so tonight, uh, I want the Lord to help us in this place. I feel like God is going to speak to us. But there are, there are long-term effects in your life of the things that you don't get dominion over today. And you'll continue to fight those things as long as you let them live. We're going to talk about that tonight, but I want us to pray together. In the name of Jesus Christ, I'm asking you to touch your people. God, touch hearts in this house that your sacred word may find fertile soil to take deep root. In the name of Jesus, I pray, oh God, that you'd touch every heart, every life. Let your name be glorified. May your voice be the loudest voice. And may you be the most visible thing in this house. That you be glorified and your saints be edified. In the mighty name of Jesus, let the church say amen. amen. Now, so I don't feel alone up here tonight, would you put your Bible down and clap to the Lord like you love Him with all your heart? Come on, do it. Hallelujah. You may be seated in Jesus' name. Uh, I'm going to preach to you tonight with the help of the Lord. And I need you to just stay with me right here for just a little while. But I'm going to preach to you tonight that if you're going to destroy a kingdom, you have to kill the king. Look at your neighbor tonight and tell them, kill the king. Kill the king. Amen. Now, I want to begin tonight in this chapter. Um, this is probably one of the most quoted uh, chapters, at least this 22nd verse, that I heard when I was a kid. I heard it all my life about obedience, that it's better to obey than to sacrifice. And this is so important uh, on Wednesday night, I talked to you about an unqualified sacrifice, and that's how this whole thing falls together, is that God doesn't, he's not obligated to receive a sacrifice from me when I'm not living in obedience to his word. Yet Saul said that what he was holding on to, he had held on to for the Lord. Now, I wish there was a way that I could clearly paint this picture for you of what this looks like in the 21st century. But believe it or not, this story happens a lot. That people hold on to things in their lives and use them as quote-unquote gifts to bring to God. Uh, I don't want to give that up and walk away from it because it's part of my testimony. We. Your testimony is only as good as how much you've overcome. You are not a testimony of overcoming if you're still struggling with what you claim you've overcome. Oh man, I want to preach tonight. But I got to stay in first gear for just a minute. You are not an overcomer while you're still being overcome. Woo! If your life is still overcome by something... You have not won. And I'm going to tell you how this happens. I'm going to leave this chapter just briefly. And I'm going to take you to the 17th chapter. Where we've got this young man who is zealous to do something for God. And the Lord sends him to a battlefield. And there's a giant there. He doesn't know that he's going to defeat a giant. He thinks he's going to take bologna, cheese, and crackers to his brother's. But as he gets there, he finds out that all of these mighty warriors of Israel are honestly hiding and acting like cowards because they don't want to fight Goliath. How many of you are familiar with David and Goliath in here tonight? Is there anybody that's not familiar with David and Goliath? So I don't have to preach the whole story. And so he comes to David. David comes to the valley and he looks at them and he says at Eli, he said, is there not a cause? You guys have sat here and listened to this man issue challenges for 40 days. 
And uh, he goes into to Saul's tent. Now Saul, he's really starting to set some trends. And we can see that he is not as courageous as he wants people to think that he is. But he walks into Saul's tent. David walks into Saul's tent and he said, you know what, kid? You're too young for this. You don't have what it takes to whoop this giant. He said, but if you're not going to listen to me and you're going to go anyhow, let me at least put my armor on you. Now, I have a couple problems with this, although it's not what I'm preaching tonight. I, str I struggle with this so bad because I want to know what a mighty king is doing with empty armor while the children of Israel are at war. And empty armor syndrome is real. Empty armor syndrome, that's the people that don't ever win victories in their life, but they can tell you how you can win it in your life. Come in here in this tent let me tell you how to get victory. Yeah, but sir, I'm here because you haven't had victory in 40 days. And so people that have empty armor syndrome are the kind that sit with their arms crossed while you worship God. And they've got more profound wisdom than you can imagine. And they can tell you how to live victoriously in the kingdom of God, but they don't understand victory for themselves. Anybody hear me tonight? And so in fast forward mode, David looks at him and he says, you know what? I can't do that because I haven't tried that armor. I haven't done that. He said, so I'm going to stick with what I know. And ultimately we find out what he knows is that as he heads in the direction of this uncircumcised Philistine by the name of Goliath, the Bible said that he looked at that giant, although he never called him a giant. He called him an uncircumcised Philistine. And he said to him, he said, you come to me with your sword and your spear. He said, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. Anybody still believe there's power in the name? And so David takes off running, and I've got theories about it. I've, I've preached it so many times, you know, some people say the reason David ran is because he was outrunning his fear. David took off running because he was afraid and he just wanted to outrun his fear. I'm going to tell you why I believe David ran. I'm going to tell you why I believe he ran towards Goliath. Because he knows God can only take so much of that junk. And God's going to give the victory to somebody. And I believe David took off running because he said, I know there's going to be victory. God's going to give it to somebody. And if I'll hurry up, it might just be me. Let the haters hate. Let them stand around and talk about you don't know what you're doing. But I'm telling you, somebody is going to end up with the victory. And if you'll hurry up. And so, so the Bible said that I, I wish I could have just preached this whole story tonight. It's one of my favorite stories to preach. That he takes five smooth stones that he grabbed on the way and he puts them in his sling. This is one bad little old dude. He's got this stone in his sling. He's got four extras in the pouch. I, I don't know if that was his lack of confidence or if it was prophetic because Goliath had four brothers. Maybe he was just saying, not only is God big enough for you, rascal, but if you keep it up, God's given me enough for you and your four brothers. He starts, he starts slinging that stone, and he releases it. The power of release in the kingdom is one of the biggest concepts that I wish you could get. Now, I know that David, I know that David was sharp. I know that he had, he had slain a lion and a bear, and he did stand on those former victories in this. I know that he had slain the lion and the bear, but he did that with his hands. That's what he said. I believe David spent his time out. Uh, his downtime out in the pasture, slinging stones. I believe he was good at it. But let me tell you, I'm not doubting anybody. But I don't believe he was that good. I, I don't believe David was so good. Now, I think he could have hit an eight and a half foot tall man. But I don't know that he could hit him right there. 
I think when David, this is my opinion, I believe when David learned the power of kingdom release, you come to me with what you think works. But I'm coming against you, devil, with what I know works. And I'm going to release this thing, and I'm going to let God do what only God can do. I'm going to tell you what I believe. I believe whether it was an angel or the hand of the Lord, I believe that when David released that stone, that there was something bigger than him that grabbed hold of that stone and directed it where it needed to go and hit that giant in just the right spot. Why would you believe that, Pastor? Because I still believe if we'll stand on the name of the Lord that he will fight for us. Well, I, I believe David was skilled enough. He knew how to do it. Well, I can tell you this. David didn't come against him. He didn't speak out of his mouth that I'm going to do this out of my talent. I'm going to do this out of my ability. He looked at that thing that was bigger than him and said, I'm going to let the Lord help me fight this battle. I don't know who needs to hear this tonight, but somebody needs to know it may be bigger than you, but God is still able. Bible said that he released that stone and it hit him in the head and we love to preach this and teach it I heard it in Sunday school all my life but I want I want it to be crystal clear tonight that when David threw the stone it did not kill the giant it's in your Bible that's where the story usually ends that David slew the giant with the stone. No, he didn't. I believe he knocked him out. I do. I believe that he knocked him out and he was laying down on the ground unconscious. That's what I believe. Because the Bible said that David, oh God have mercy, that David walked up and took the sword that was intended to kill him. And he said, devil, I want you to know that what you were going to kill me with. God gave me the strength to knock you down. But now I'm about to take you out. Now, this is the principle in this story you got to get. I believe that the stone was supernatural. I believe God did that. I believe it was kingdom release. He did what he could and he sent it and God took care of it. But we have got to quit expecting God to do for us what only we can do for us. We've got to quit asking the Holy Ghost to do for us what we can do for us. God did not take that sword and put it in the hand of David and in the life of Goliath. David said, God, you brought me this far and the next step is mine. Let me, let me break this down. I'm still in my introduction tonight. i got to get to my message. God will lead us to a certain place. But the next step of victory is on me, not God. Yeah, but I've got faith, believe that God can. Yeah, but if you don't have works, your faith is dead. Something's got to come alive in you that says, I don't, I don't want to risk this joker waking up and me having to fight this thing again. Oh man, I'm trying to get this in your spirit. I'm not going to spend my life fighting with resurrected giants. I got to get something on me that says I'm going to end this now and forever. I will never hear that voice again. I will never entertain that temptation again. 
God help me knock it down by the power of his spirit. But I'm going to be sure that it never gets up again. So the problem that we, that we encounter is that we fight things that are resurrected because we're not willing to do our part and kill it. So what got them to this place of carnality with Saul who was anointed to be king, we see it in the chapter that I read to you tonight. Why did God turn his heart against Saul? Why did Saul's anointing lose its power and value in his life? For no other reason than disobedience. The Lord said through the prophet, I want you to destroy. Verse 3 of chapter 15. Go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. Saul gathers them together. And the Bible said that he slew them. He said that he slew them all. But there was a part that he saved. And the issue was that he left the king breathing. Now church family, hear me tonight. Kings only know how to do one thing. Be kings. And some way, somehow, we think that we can keep the kings in our lives so isolated that it's not going to affect anybody around us. But I'm going to tell you what I believe. I don't know if they had made a makeshift prison or whatever they had done, but he was holding, he was holding Agag somewhere in, in bondage. And I believe that wherever Agag was in bondage, there was an ear close enough that he started talking to him. Let me tell you about victories I've won. It is dangerous to let kings live when we're trying to destroy kingdoms. Because kings know how to take remnants that are left. I'm telling you right now that if the man of God would not have intervened in this Agag, would have eventually got loose and taken all the things, all the victories that Saul had wrought and saved and stuck back... Agag would have taken every bit of that and started building a kingdom again. He, he was not told to just take what you want and slay what you want. The Lord said, I want you to destroy everything. Every man, every woman, every child, all the oxen, all the asses. I want you to destroy every bit of it. But the Bible said that he let Agag live. And so some time ago, some time ago I got to studying this and I got over into uh, I got over into 1 Samuel chapter 30. Now I'm in a hurry right here. I got in 1 Samuel chapter 30. We're 15 chapters ahead. And the Bible said in 1 Samuel 30 and 17 if you got your Bibles, this is what your Bible says. 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse 17. And David smote them from twilight even to the evening of the next day. And there escaped not a man of them save 400 young men which rode upon camels and fled. Verse 18. And David recovered all that the... Why is David still having to fight something that Saul was supposed to get rid of? Well, I, 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 I killed all of them. No, you didn't. Now, in your Bibles, well, David took care of them. David fixed it. No, no, listen. I want you to go to Esther chapter 3 with me. Man, I wish I had time to preach this tonight. This story is so powerful. Esther chapter 3. How many of you are familiar with the story about Esther? The Bible said that Haman hated her, hated Mordecai. But God sets up Esther, puts her in the, in the palace, makes the king fall in love with her. The gallows that Haman built, he ends up hanging on himself, right? Are you picking up a trend here, what God will do with people? The sword that was supposed to kill David killed his enemy. 
The gallow that was supposed to kill Esther and Mordecai ends up killing Haman. You, make, you just write it down in your journal. You let the devil keep giving you everything he wants to give you. And you be faithful to God and hell will end up hanging itself. Esther chapter 3. Esther chapter 3 and verse 1. Oh, God have mercy. Haman is getting promoted after these things. Did King Ahasuerus promote Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes that were with him? Are you saying with me tonight? Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite. What? Does that sound familiar? Who was it that Saul didn't kill? Agag. It was the Amalekites that he was supposed to destroy. But he didn't take care of business. Somebody said, well, uh, I, 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 honest to God, I read this, I read this uh, just today in a commentary. They said, well, you know, they're defending Saul. Because Saul said, I killed all of them. This is what they said. They said, well, biblically speaking, sometimes when the scripture said they killed all of a certain group, it meant that they just destroyed the army. I'm like, look, God didn't ask him to kill the army. Come on, we read it tonight. God said, men, women, babes, sucklings, I'm going to preach it till we get it tonight, oxen, asses, Everything belongs to him. Destroy him. He said, I killed them all. You didn't kill them all. Because David's still dealing with them. They're pillaging their towns and raping women. And David's having to go in and fight to recover what was taken. Brothers and sisters, the reason why we preach holiness the way we do is I don't want my kids having to fight resurrected things that God told this generation to destroy. I feel like preaching on Sunday night. I want to tell you young people something. You've got to quit giving CPR to things that your elders destroyed a long time ago. Can I just be real with you right now? I don't know why in the world our movement is fighting against things of of holiness and separation right now that are battles we won a long time ago. We established it a long time ago. Men are going to be men. Women are going to be women. Well, hello. We established it. We're going to be holy unto the Lord, separated unto the Lord. And this generation is doing everything they can to figure out how much holiness we can get rid of and still be holy. All I can say to you is when you start asking questions like, how much do I have to do but still be saved? You're already headed down the wrong path. Am I in an apostolic church tonight? I'm going to tell you what what these people are finding out. They're finding out all these years that they thought they were keeping holiness. Brother Woodward said like this. He said, I thought all those years that I was keeping holiness. He said, but I've come to the place to realize now holiness was keeping me. There were things that that our forefathers preached and got that under under their feet and they took care of it. Oh, I know there's probably going to be somebody watching that's not going to like it. And some smart aleck young preacher comes along and says, I'm going to show that old man how to really build a church. And instead of building a church, they destroy a church. Young people, listen, I've been young. Thank God I'm not old. I'm a tweener. But I'm going to tell you, I made up my mind when I saw what my granddad went through to set fence posts that I was never, ever, for any reason, going to move that line in the church. The world is ever changing and ever evolving. I understand that. So what that tells me is it's not going to take less holiness. 
Woo! We, 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 we've set the bar, so to speak. I preach this because I believe this. But what I'm seeing in the 21st century church is that we are as separated from the world as we've always been. But that troubles me because the world's moving so fast. If I could set a measure on this, and I know there's no way to do that, but let, let me just set the measure. If the world is here and the, the church is here and we've got a three-foot distance on a measuring board somehow from the 60,000-foot view and the world keeps moving, we just stay right with it. And the worldlier the world gets, the worldlier the church gets. I, I'm just telling you if, you, if you can still, if you can still support the gods of this world after the things that you've seen over the last several years in all these athletes and all the chaos and stuff they've created, there, there ain't no way I can do it. I don't want anything to do with the darkness of this world. But at some point, the church... It's going to have to be an anchor. This says, let the world pass me by and do whatever they're going to do. But I'm going to stand for Jesus. My, mother, my mother-in-law is here tonight and she can tell you this is the truth. She was not raised apostolic. She was raised in another denomination. And she was raised in probably, uh, I guess you'd say, a more secluded environment than a, a lot of the world. She was raised on Prince Edward Island, which is, uh, it's a big place if you've been there, but it's, it's not like anything close to being in Los Angeles, I can tell you that. But the church that she was raised in was not a Pentecostal church. And when they came preaching Jesus' name on the island, my mother-in-law told me, she said, son, we didn't, we didn't have a lot of converting to do other than our doctrine. She said, we got baptized in Jesus' name and had a couple little other things that we had to work on. She said, but we were holy people. It was hard to tell the difference in town between what denomination they were because they just so felt like they were God's people. Man, oh man, it's getting tied up in here right now. But I went with her, not to the same building, but back to that same denomination for a, a memorial service on the island. And she can tell you, that church don't look like it looked when she was a kid. And so what frustrates me with that is that if we're not careful as Pentecostals, we're going to follow the same course. I'm telling you that the Lord separated his church from the world when the church started. And the Lord's going to have his church separated from the world when he comes back. Well, Brother St. Clair, it's just, it, that's just because... That's just because you Pentecostal preach that. No, let me tell you what I was just saying to you very clearly. Everybody used to believe that. I'm not trying to mess anybody up here right now, but I personally am a fan of old westerns. I like them. And I think it's funny that when you're, when you're seeing an old John Wayne or something like that, and he walks into a saloon. The only way you could tell who the woman of the night was was by the color of her dress. They had, they, had, they had to make her look different than everybody in there because all the women looked, oh, God. Because all the women looked like women. And as a little boy, I'd walk to the bathroom, maybe couldn't, maybe couldn't, Read on the sign. Now, I got smart by 16. I could read men, women. But before I could read, I could walk up to a sign and I would know which bathroom was which. Because on the sign, the women looked like women. And the men looked like men and they were stick people. 
I find it funny that stick artists knew how to differentiate between men and women. And now we got to stand at the door while our daughters are in the restroom. I'm telling you, I hate the devil. And I hate, I hate everything that he does. But I'm not going to be distracted by what he's doing. And I'm not going to be distracted by what he's saying. The devil's got preachers too. But I'm going to preach louder than they're preaching. And I'm going to preach harder than they're preaching. And while, while they're all preaching equality and diversity, I'm going to tell you, the diversity is this. We are supposed to be the people of God, and we are supposed to be different than the world. And, and if you want to know what equality is, there is nothing that brings equality like the blood of Jesus. It don't matter if you're poor, if you're rich. It don't matter if you're a man or a woman. It doesn't matter if you're a homosexual or a heterosexual. The blood of Jesus will wash you. It will cleanse you. The cross is the level playing ground for everybody. I'm hurrying. I find it ironic. That what one generation says they conquered, but God said there's something deeper in their heart. By the time we get to the book of Esther, that Haman the Agagite is already establishing hatred against the people that God had given dominion to destroy them. Are you following what I'm saying tonight? Through the prophet of the Lord, God told Saul, destroy the king Agag, destroy the Amalekites, destroy everything about it. Isn't it something that the thing that God gave his people power to walk in dominion over, in the next generation, is building gallows to still hang them up? Do you know why we've got people that are still getting hung up over things? That they should have had victory over a long time ago. Because they're still kings living. There's still things that are alive that the Lord told you to get rid of. God help me tonight. I've heard the story. I've heard people say it. It won't affect me like it affected them, Pastor. It, 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 it won't distract me like it distracted them, Pastor. I can watch that stuff and it don't affect me like that, Pastor. I can go to those places and it don't bother me, Pastor. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you, we're breathing CPR back into things that God said I want destroyed in my church. And if we're not careful, there's going to come a day, and I don't believe it's going to happen because God's always going to have a remnant. You hear me? But if we're not careful, we're going to let things in that we gave life to. Mm, my God. And there's going to come a day, and we've already seen it in church after church after church. One man said it like this. He said that I looked for the church, and I found it in the world. And then I looked for the world, and I found it in the church. I'm telling you tonight that God has called his church. To be holy and separated unto him. I teach this all the time in this church. But I believe it with all my heart. Not everything I do is separation from the world. Some things I do as separation unto God. I don't have to. I, everything I do doesn't have to have chapter, line, and verse. If it separates me from the world and it separates me to God, it's valuable in my life. If it makes me more like him, I want to do it. If it makes me more like the world, I'm staying away from it. I'm going to destroy that breathing king in my life. I'm keeping it out of my 
home. I don't need Hollywood speaking into my kids' ears. I don't need television speaking over my kids. I'm sorry, but I don't need SpongeBob SquarePants babysitting your children. We don't need Disney babysitting our children. We need to take our children to a prayer room and tell them, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Pastor, I don't understand why you feel the need to preach the way that you preach. And it seems like about every couple months you preach this. You want to know why? Because I'm checking the pulse. I'm walking up to that grave. And I'm leaning down to that. I said, are you breathing? Because I'm going to be sure you don't come walking in FPC. Folks. I want to know, you, I want you to know, you can love me or hate me for it, but I'm building high walls for your kids. Come on. I said, I'm building high walls for your kids. God have mercy. I'm building a high wall so that as the watchman on the wall, I don't have to wait till something knocks on the gate in the middle of the night and catches us by surprise. I'm building a high wall so I can see it in the distance. And I see trends that are coming against the church. But I'm going to tell you tonight, if it comes against every church in this county and every church in this region, we've got guards at the gate and it's not going to come to this church. We're not going to let it creep into this church. I know people probably think I'm being critical when I say this. But I was talking to a young man the other day about the Lord. I'd never met him before. I was talking to him about the Lord. Matter of fact, he was waiting on me in a line here in town. I started talking to him about the Lord. And he said, well, where do you go to church? And I told him. He said, well, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll tell you where I went to church. Where I go to church. And he told me, I said, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with it. I know where it's at. He said, we just finished a series called Church at the Movies. And he said, that's where, that's where we took, we took uh, like scenes from movies and turned them into sermons and preached them. Man, I got sick. I'm not being, I'm telling you, I'm not being rude. I, I got sick because I thought, what else, what else does the, the enemy have to do when we have to start using the illustrations of Hollywood to prop God up folks my wife can tell you it grieves my spirit when I see some of the themes that churches have set up for their kids and the stuff that they've got going I'm sorry if it, if it, it offends you, but it, 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 it's becoming more and more prevalent to me that I'm moving in a completely different direction than Disney. I wasn't smart enough to know that when I was a kid. But now I look back on the things that I saw when I was 9, 10, 11 years old and every bit of it was full of what we're dealing with openly now. Homosexuality promiscuity and it was right there in front of us now looking back you can see it I mean there's there's literally on, on the covers of the, the movies there's private parts hidden right, I mean right just hidden couldn't even see it and it takes us all the way back to a Ro Roman and, and, and Hellenistic time where sexuality was worshipped as gods We'll set our kids, God help me right now. I don't want to hurt you tonight. But we'll set our kids down in front of a movie for two hours and they won't move a muscle. But we bring them to church for an hour and 20 and 30 minutes and give them an iPad and a phone for the whole time. Oh God. Our kids, our kids, our kids don't know anything about tapping into prayer because at prayer meeting, We've just taught them. You just entertain yourself through prayer. Folks, please hear your pastor tonight. 
the church of the living God was never meant to be a place of entertainment. It was, ne- it was never to be a place where, where we get things confused with entertainment. I'm all about it. I want to have fun with our kids. And thank God our youth pastor does a great job at, at keeping our kids entertained. But the whole point of the kingdom of God was not entertaining people into heaven. It was getting people out of the hell that they're living in and getting their soul prepared. Listen, God didn't call us to build a group of comfortable people that are still in love with the entertainment of this world. He said, I want you to raise up and arm army of believers that are soldiers in the army of the Lord and they are not going along with the world they are soldiers that are fighting in the battle against the world I've got I've got to quit tonight oh God my family and I sat last night in a restaurant and there was a precious little family that sat right across from us, from our table. Beautiful family. And every single kid in that family, they had a family of three kids. Every single kid sat at the table with an iPad and watched TV for the whole meal. The whole meal. You see it in almost every restaurant you go to. Because parents are saying... I don't want to deal with you right now. I want to enjoy my meal. I don't want to deal with you right now. Woo! Son, it, it, it's as tight as a Gibson banjo in here right now. Parents, can I cry out to you from the wall tonight and tell you it's time to engage with our kids again? It's time to engage with our kids again. It's time when we sit down at the table to be sure our kids know we're going to bow our heads and we're going to thank God for this meal because God provided this meal. And while we're sitting at the table, we're going to talk. Did you hear that sermon that so-and-so preached the other night? And we're going to talk about the Word of God. And we're going to talk about the family of God. Look, I'm not here to rip anybody tonight, but I'm telling you that the kings of this world are doing everything they can to get the attention of your children. And if they can't destroy your marriage, they'll try to destroy your children. God put a hedge around our kids tonight. Woo! I thank God that I've got good kids. I thank God that they love the Lord, but they can tell you that we'll be driving down the road sometimes and they'll be listening to something. I'll say, What is that? Because it's getting hard to tell the difference. It's getting hard to tell the difference between some of these quote-unquote Christian artists. I'm telling you the truth. Last night, I reached up and turned one off in my truck. Jocelyn said, I knew you wouldn't like that. I said, well, you were right. It's like Jesus, Jesus. Like, nope, not my truck. Ain't going to happen. Mom, they make fun of me for liking Magruder's if they want to. <laughs> I'm not saying everything you listen to has got to have a steel guitar, but it better glorify God. I'm closing. Musicians, I'm sorry. I don't even know what you should have to play right now. But I'm here to preach to this church. That the gods of this world are after your babies. And our job, listen to me. Our job in the church has got to shift. We've got to shift our focus from constantly living in recovery mode with our young people. Having to recover them after they've fallen. And shift our attention to the place that I'm cutting off every pass of communication that would try to get to my kids. Well, pastor, are we going to stop preaching restoration? No, then I'd stop preaching the Bible. 
Restoration has to happen in the church. But it doesn't have to happen in my home. If I'll teach my children that your testimony is as powerful to have never had to have been delivered. Thank you, Sister Jenny. I said your testimony can be just as powerful that I've never backslid. I've never left the Lord. I've never walked away from God. I've never known the... Hey, young people, let me tell you. It's a great testimony that you have slept with one person and that's your husband or your wife. It's a testimony that I kept myself for my bride. I kept my... God help us. God. Jesus. I plead the blood over my kids. And I plead the blood over your kids. And I thank God for everyone that's left and come back. Thank God for it. But if you've left and come back, you need to help me. You need to help me tell these other young people. You don't have to leave to have a testimony. Come on, somebody help me right now. You know what I want my kids' testimony to be? I was born in this thing and I stayed in this thing. If we're going to destroy kingdoms, we got to kill kings. I've got to cut off access. I've got to cut off Satan's line of communication. Whatever I have to do. I don't want to be constantly looking over my shoulder, over my kids' shoulders, Pastor. I don't want to constantly have to be looking at their phone. Grab it. Look at it. I'm telling you, if your kids have devices that you don't have the password to? Brother Snow, if I'm crazy, then I'm crazy. But I'm telling you right now, if my kids wouldn't give me the password to their devices, they would be shut off tomorrow. I deactivate everything they got. And if... And if if you ask for their phone and they have to say, hold on just a second and move things around before you get it, that's a good sign. They're still too young to have it. Our kids are sharp. My papa, my papa used to t- tell me all the time, son, I need you to come over here and fix this. I don't know what I've done. I need you to come fix my phone. I need you. you know what? My kids can fix anything. They can fix everything. Brother Frank, they know everything about every device there is. And just the other day, I was talking with another preacher. He was, he was ministering in a church, and somebody in that church came for counsel about their children. And, brother, this, this, messed, this messed me up. He said, I started looking at the trends and noticing that my, my son was spending like four to six hours a day in the Bible app. In the Bible app. Because there are ways to invite friends. The Bible app is another social media app. We have police officers in here can tell you, I'm not lying to you. Perverts and pedophiles will use whatever they got to to get, our, get to our kids. And they were creating chat rooms within the Bible application. Sharing sexual information back and forth on a Bible app. I'm like, boy, I bet you feel dumb when you get to the Ten Commandments. Are you hearing me? Well, I, my kids don't have Instagram. My kids, I'm going to tell you, if they've got anything. <laughs> You better be checking everything they got. Because it's easier to prevent than it is to recover. 
We've got kids that the Lord has brought back, and I thank the Lord for it. But I hate they know the things they learned while they were away from God. I would rather my kids be accused of being sheltered and privileged than I would to have to recover them out of the depths of despair because the enemy got a hold of them. God help us tonight. Could we just lift our hands towards heaven? I can't let it live or it'll hang my children. I can't let it live or the next generation is going to have to, they're going to have to do something powerful to get around it. I hope the Lord does not withhold his coming for 30 more years. I really do. I'm going to tell you tonight, church family, that if the Lord withholds his coming for another 30 years and he gives me long enough life to live that long, and I believe he will, but if he, if he gives me long enough life to live for 30 more years and I have great-grandchildren, I don't want them having to fight what the Lord told me to t- take care of in 2023. What I'm, what I'm going to say to you tonight could be misunderstood, so you just have to know my spirit. You have to know where I am. God, help me present your word with the right spirit. I know there are people in this town that look at us as the old-fashioned church. But I'm going to tell you another trend that I found is that when their families are in trouble and they need somebody to get a hold of God. They don't call Christian dance clubs. They call the old-fashioned people that still believe in the power of prayer. Oh. If the worst thing that that my mission field can say about me when I finish my course and run my race is that he was old-fashioned and refused to change, I will say I've won the battle. Because I feel like, I feel like as technology advances... The things that we used to have to make a big deal over, they become irrelevant. Our preachers used to get up and, man, they'd preach against TV and they'd, you know. Now everybody's got something worse than TV in their pocket and they use it to communicate. I'm not going to lie to you. I, I told a preacher friend of mine the other day, I said, I am so thankful I didn't have iPhones when I was dating. I'm just being honest. I'm so thankful that I didn't have access to the things we do now. I'm glad. But that's not going to keep me from letting my kids know there's going to be boundaries that we're not going to cross. But Dad, we want to. We want to be a part. I understand that. But God help us to teach our kids the value of why we're doing what we're doing. It's not, it's not because we want them to miss out on something. It's because we want them to be protected in the walls. I, I, I preached our kids in chapel or in a ministry class at PCA the other day about Abner. He stepped right just right outside the walls of the city of refuge. That's it. Just got him to the gate. Oh, brought him to the gate. And as soon as his foot stepped outside the gate, he was no longer protected. And he slew him under the fifth rib with a dagger. You know what? I don't want my kids so close to the gate that if the dagger's long enough, just as they take a step out, I want to keep my kids safe in the city. Come on, I want to keep my kids safe in the city. Let's lift our hands to the Lord. Shatayandala mohoya.
It's never too late to go home and reevaluate some things in your home. Maybe you let some things in that you regret letting in, but tonight you can say it from this night forward. I'll never let it in this house again. Our home is going to be a holy place where we honor God. Our family is going to be a holy family that honors God.